Welcome to This Week in Sparkling Water. I am your host, Joachim Axel. How is everyone doing? Everyone hanging in there, constitutional crisis aside? It's a fascinating time to be alive. I think I'm just going to go straight into it and say that I was listening this morning to Preet Bharara's podcast. Preet Bharara was the, I believe his title was that he was the attorney for the Southern District of New York under during Barack Obama's presidency. And then he was fired in 2017 when Trump took over. But Preet was talking about... Preet, Preet's a, it's a nice podcast. It's a, he's a good guy. He has this very strict, simple American legal worker perspective on everything. Because he's just such an old school lawyer, attorney. And he just has such a like well-read, calm perspective on stuff. But... Then he looks at this, and he really zoomed in on how Trump has turned on Mike Pence, and how Trump maybe called Pence a traitor and a coward and all this stuff, and then how crowds of Trump supporters that stormed the Capitol chose the slogan, Hang Mike Pence, and that later became a famous hashtag, or like a hashtag that started trending on Twitter, Hang Mike Pence, before it was banned, because it's too... Uh, <laughs> yeah. It, uh, it encourages violence, maybe one could say. And then Preet's take on it is that he's just so stuck on saying, oh, it's so unprecedented. We've never seen anything like this. It's so unprecedented. It's so new. And that's the sentiment that I hear from Americans, that it's so new. And I don't think that's right. It's only new if you have a very strict, narrow American perspective on things. And in the sort of American political system, it doesn't really make sense for the leader to turn on his second-in-command. It just doesn't, because it's like this pyramid where you want to prop up the people in your own party. You don't want too much infighting, because there's this other party that will take advantage of your infighting. Like, that's the dynamic in America. But, you know, there are other places. And I believe that in cult of personality style politics, this is very common. This is how it goes. And I think if you look around the world at different communist dictatorships in the last hundred years, I think this happens over and over in all of them. Now, I'm a China guy, so I kind of only know about all the Chinese examples. But I'm sure it's common everywhere. I mean, I'm sure it ha I'm, I'm pretty sure it happened like in Soviet, in the Soviet Union a couple of times. Like, you know, maybe like Khrushchev was ousted by Brezhnev. And I don't really know those stories so good. It's like there's like a Soviet narrative of what happened. And then there's like a Western, more academic objective looking back on it perspective and then i'm more familiar with like the chinese perspective which is always like some guys like that my guy might be a fucking khrushchev and then that means he's a traitor or something i don't know they, they in the end they just kind of hated all the different soviet leaders but but um maybe trotsky was lenin's heir apparent and maybe he was ousted but maybe he was ousted by stalin maybe all of that is more like um examples of power struggles and maybe that's a little bit different but the chinese examples are very the dynamic is very similar um and i think these are useful examples because 
if I can start from the beginning, I think Americans have noticed that there's something funny, there's something rotten going on in the state of Denmark here, that there's something funny going on with Donald Trump, that there's something culty about him. It's a cult somehow. And then what Americans know about cults is like Jonestown and Heaven's Gate and Scientology and those kinds of cults and the smaller ones, maybe where there's a hundred, couple of hundred people. And I think that's one dynamic in a cult with a couple of hundred people. I mean, Scientology is bigger, but Scientology aside, the, the smaller groups where you have a cult leader and they're surrounded by a couple of hundred people, that there's a different dynamic there than a leader of a country who creates a cult of personality. Like there are hilarious similarities, but there's also differences. And um, I don't know. I mean, I think at this point, I think for a long time, Americans have felt this to be true, that there's culty stuff going on. Like, I remember the first year of the Trump presidency, there was this weird, it wasn't a press conference, I think it was a cabinet meeting, where they just have this long table, and everyone is there. It's like Reince Priebus, and Steve Mnuchin, and Mike Pence, and everyone, and Donald Trump just starts the meeting by saying, uh, go run the table, uh, say what your job is, and say a few words about the administration. And the cameras were allowed in, and they filmed everything, and they just went from person to person, just praising Donald Trump. Everyone just saying that they're so blessed to get to be there, and they're so grateful to get to work for him, and they love him so much. And it's like, Steve Mnuchin is like, I just came back from Mississippi. They love you so much there, Donald. They, they love you, Donald. And it's just Donald Trump is just sitting there just smiling. And it's got this really sort of Chairman Maui sort of vibe to it. <laughs> Where it's like really, uh, it's the beginning of a cult of personality thing. Now, I don't want to exaggerate how successful that has been. Because I don't think it's, has, I don't think it's been that successful. But it's been successful enough that the Capitol was stormed last week. You know, and I think there's a stra straight line between those two things, like between that cabinet meeting in 2017 where the cameras are in, in there and, and everyone around Donald Trump is, they, they, they got competitive with it, where they were talking about how much they loved him and then they try to one-up each other. And that each person tries to say that they love Trump more than the last guy. And... um it's like when you look at the just the face of it from like a normal, sane, sober, healthy, grown-up living in the modern era, watching that on television, it looks bizarre. And it's hard to understand it in any other way than to see it as an attempt at a beginning of a cult of personality thing. But so let's just compare it to China a little bit because it's more helpful than comparing it to Jim Jones and Jonestown and having people drink Kool-Aid because 200 people is following a guy around, you know? So like, for example, the f if you just think of it chronologically, I think the first guy who was sort of groomed to be Chairman Mao's uh, successor was Peng Dehuai. And they... This was in the 50s, like the People's Republic of China was founded in 1949, and then in the 50s, Peng Dehuai is up there, and Chairman Mao loves him, and it's all Gucci, and then during the Great Leap Forward, 
where Chairman Mao has these sort of like not very realistic techniques for how to make a bunch of food. Um, they do these collectivizations where everything is done collectively and, and they cost big famines. And then Peng Dehuai started complaining because he knew that there were famines everywhere. And Mao just fucking ousted him because it has this... A thing that's similar between the small cult and the big cult is this, like, push towards black and white thinking. And push towards being more extreme in our direction is always better than trying to temper something. And this is something that you could have a whole conversation about how I think the same problem exists on the American left. Where, like, there's no... It, it really kills conversation when you're not allowed to... Uh, say anything that sort of tries to bring things back to the center. I don't know. I don't even want to talk about that because it's too... Uh, I'm not allowed to. <laughs> I don't want to get canceled. <laughs> but so, okay. So you have Peng Dehuai and then he, he gets ousted because he criticized Mao. And then he lost his role in the party, all of his positions, and then during the Cultural Revolution later on, he was captured and imprisoned and he died in prison. And... He, I remember he, there's this, I, there's this thing that he pontificated on his life and his fall later in life. And he, he was like, he had been friends with Chairman Mao for 30 years. And they'd worked together and been friends and like gone through this revolution and the civil war where they won and they founded a nation together, you know, this small clique of political leaders. And if Mao had a problem with what he was saying, why couldn't Mao just come to him? You know, that's what he was thinking. That's what he was pontificating on it later in life when he was in prison. He's like, why couldn't Mao just come to me? We'd been friends for 30 years. But it doesn't work like that. Instead, Mao publicly denounced him, which led to his death. Because this is black, black and white thing. If you're not with us, then you're a capitalist road, roadster. Roader? Yeah, capitalist rotor. <laughs> Someone uh, creating a path for the capitalists, I'm sure that means. It's, um, that's what that means. And then I think uh, um, chronologically, I think the next guy um, was Liu Shaoqi, who um, was uh, Mao's, who also, he was third in command and a lot of people thought he was going to take over after Mao and Mao was hinting at that. And then there was some sort of disagreement and, and Mao just turned on him, and um, and then uh, the Cultural Revolution happened, and he also died in prison. And uh, yeah, I think there's an interesting thing there of how Mao never. Mao didn't kill any of these people himself. All Mao said was he just raised the temperature to an incredibly high extremist thinking, black and white thinking temperature. And then he had people around him that were on the right side. And then he would point someone out and say, no, um, Liu Xiaoqi is now a member of the bourgeoisie, you know? He would just kick them out of the party. And then... The, the mob would do the work for him, you know? And, um, and 
I think it's very interesting to think about the cultural revolution here because the cultural revolution is a little bit of a complicated event, but the very simple origins of it, I think you can say, is that what happened was that in the 70s, Chairman Mao had been the paramount leader for a while, for a few decades, but he was getting sidelined. There was like a bureaucracy, there was like career leaders that were actually making the decisions, and and Chairman Mao was losing power, and he was old, and he was getting frustrated that he was losing power. And he wanted to get back to the height of it, because like, the people had loved him in a very personal way, you know? The people in China had loved him where they personally loved him and where the party was secondary because he was like the son, you know? And so even though he didn't have so much political power, he just came out in these speeches and just said crazy things like, now we're going to have something that's called the Cultural Revolution, and I want all of you guys to take to the streets and attack anyone who isn't with us. You know? I'm paraphrasing. Also, can I just say that I'm doing all this from memory, and it's like I'm playing really fast and loose with historical facts here, but that's not the point. The point is the general dynamics, and the general dynamics are true. Like, the dynamics of these things, this is how it happened. And then, you know, maybe some of the years and some of the... You know, none of these are quotes. But the point is that um, Mao was losing power and people had loved him personally. And he, he spoke to the people then directly and created this weird event. And the Cultural Revolution was that all these small groups, people would form these small groups and all the little groups would have different weird little names and their own and they would have study groups and they would sit down and they would read Mao's writings and they would get themselves really riled up and then they would go out to the streets and fight and they would fight other groups that also were like Maoists but they were somehow like different extremist groups and there was just like a lot of infighting and there was just like a lot of violence in the streets and then there was a fuck ton of the big thing was tearing down everything that's old and tearing down all the stuff that was perceived as enemy stuff. So it was a big, like, it's when they destroyed all the temples. It's when they destroyed, they just destroyed a lot of stuff. All the old Buddhist stuff, all the old Confucian stuff, all the little village temples. And they would go into universities and, and sort of grab all the professors and, and do these things that were called struggle sessions. That was a big part of the Cultural Revolution that they would... <sighs> Struggle sessions, I mean, it's very complicated. Some people would be like chained up on a, they would take a university professor and like chain him up on a sort of cross and then make him do like a confession on how he was part of the bourgeoisie and how he wasn't for the working man. And and then sometimes they would deprive them of water and shit and they would die. And sometimes they would just be tortured a little bit. And sometimes they would fall out of a window. And there was like a lot of violence and a lot of people died. But But it was a very chaotic event. And it wasn't an event that had, it would, I mean, Chairman Mao triggered it, but it didn't have a very clear plan. And I think it's interesting to think about the Cultural Revolution because I think anyone can see that what happened on January 6th in America, 2021, was similar in a certain way. 
because you have Donald Trump who lost the election according to these um, commonly agreed upon facts and according to these institutions. Like you have people that have jobs, career people in courts and in government, people who are poll workers, like these people who are part of mainstream institutions who do things a certain way, which is like the same way how it's always done. And then if there's a an idea that there was something untoward happening, then there are also normal ways to go through that. And they, I think what happened is that in the end, the sort of Trump side started 70 legal cases, and I think they lost 69 of those legal cases. Uh, legal cases saying that there was voter fraud, and then I think they won one case, and they lost 69 cases. So when the normal bureaucratic institution failed Donald Trump, and when he lost power in the sort of normal government, then he went straight to the people, and he just posted on his Twitter, hey, meet me in fucking D.C. on January 6th when they're going to certify the vote. We're going to meet here. It's three blocks from the Capitol. I'm going to speak. I'm going to be there. And then people showed up, you know. And I know, I mean, I know the people who wanted to go. I mean, these are real people. And there are a lot of them, you know. There's a lot of people that love Donald Trump. And they love him in a cult of personality way. And he's special and he's different. And maybe there's like a... Chairman Mao had to sort of invent this sort of spirituality and add this sort of spiritual angle to it. And in America, there's already that, that sort of Christian under, that sort of Christian current is always there. Things are always already being interpreted through that angle. So Chairman, I mean, so Chairman Mao, so President Trump didn't so much have to say that he was anointed because people were ready to People are already primed to think about people and leaders in terms of is he anointed or not. So people show up on January 6th and then Trump is like, yeah, now we're going to go there. And, and I think it's very interesting because, yeah, Trump never said break into the Capitol and destroy everything and take these people prisoner. Because I think that's clearly what the people were trying to do now when a couple of days have passed and there's been some analyzing of the event, those people in those, you know, uh, Trump supporters, I mean, I'm just going to call them Trump supporters. There's all these different groups and maybe some of them are Antifa sprinkled in and, you know, it's just anarchists and all different kinds of things. But there were Trump supporters in the crowd wearing like all black SWAT gear and walking around with the zip ties and they had pipe bombs and you know, IEDs and, and guns, and they were hoping to take some members of Congress or the House prisoner, hostage. And they were hoping to do a thing like that. And Trump didn't really have to tell them to do that. All he had to do was speak in terms of black and white thinking and speak in terms of the cult of personality language that he's already invented for years now. And... He just had to call those people the enemy, you know, and then the rest can be interpreted. And the thing about Chairman Mao is Chairman Mao never said kill Peng Lehuai. He never said kill Liu Xiaoqi. But what happened is that he ousted them and he made people think of them as the enemy. And then when he triggered this chaotic event, the Cultural Revolution, a couple of years after, because I think, I mean, Peng Lehuai was ousted in the late 50s and the Cultural Revolution didn't happen until the early 70s. But when that happened, people remembered that Peng Dehuai was a, was a 
an enemy of the people. And then they, they just broke into his house and captured him. And he spent the rest of his life in prison. And then they, they tortured him until he died in prison. And, and um, Mao didn't have to tell them to do that. And then Liu Xiaoqi, same thing. They, he was ousted. He was just ousted. He wasn't... Mao didn't sentence him to prison or anything, but Mao just triggered this chaotic event a couple of years after, and then he was captured. And I think the thing with with um, Liu Xiaoqi is that he was denied medical care. Like, he was a diabetic, and they just denied him insulin. And, and then they kind of... I think it was Mao's wife who wanted to keep him alive. Zhang Qing wanted to keep him alive, so... She came and like made sure that he actually lived longer, but but I think he only lived for another year or something. And those people died, you know. And um, that's the hang Mike Pence moment, you know, because those people that I mean, I, you know, I was talking to my roommate about this yesterday. How like the Wall Street Journal, which is an already right wing paper that is very much not prone to hyperbole. They wrote an article talking about how the Trump supporters breaking into the Capitol, they were merely a few feet away from the congressman. And they, the congressman managed to escape and then they broke in and they were really just a few seconds apart there. So if the Trump supporters had broken in 60 seconds earlier, then they had gotten, they had probably, I mean, it's not that crazy that they would have killed some members of Congress, you know? It's pretty extreme. But I think it's possible that that could have happened. Because, you know, if you have a whole crowd chanting Mike Pence and then they break in and Mike Pence is there, you don't think they're going to fucking tear Mike Pence apart? <laughs> I mean... It's crazy that I have to be all careful with it and I feel like I'm exaggerating, but I don't I think it's maybe not exaggerations. I don't know. And then, you know, my um Chairman Mao did it over and over and, and I think the last one was Lin Biao where I mean Lin Biao, it's a crazy story too, where he was it was when Chairman Mao was later in his career, so he would uh he was um he was um, more actively looking for a successor. And Lin Biao was a little bit younger, and he was, um, what's it called? Just explicitly talking about Lin Biao as his successor. And then there was some disagreement. I don't even really remember what the disagreement was, but there, there was this thing where Chairman Mao um, turned on him. And honestly, I think it's there is, even historians don't really know what happened why because limbia died in a airplane crash where the chinese narrative i think is that he was staging a coup against chairman mao and that he was caught and then he was fleeing to the ussr and then there's a couple of things about that that's very confusing and maybe it's more like he thought that he wasn't maybe he wasn't staging a coup maybe mao was just going to kill him or something and he was fleeing and, and maybe the whole fleeing thing happened so chaotically that the pilot wasn't ready or something or the plane was broken or but there's also something about how when the plane crashed they were actually flying away from the USSR in western china somewhere so it's confusing what happened but but he fell out with mao is the point 
And there's several things there that are really interesting and relevant to Donald Trump, I think. And one thing is that, oh, where do I start? One thing that's interesting is that it highlights how difficult it is for someone who has created a cult of personality style leadership position for themselves to have a successor. And I think that this going forward will be extremely relevant in the case of Trump, because Trump has carved out a little hovel for himself. And it's a very specific shape. He fills a Trump-shaped hole. And can someone else fill that hole? And then, you know, in North Korea, the solution to that has always just been to... Where's my vape? To uh, use a family member. Hold on, I have to find my vape. Sorry, I just need a little bit of nicotine there. So in North Korea, they go with the family thing, you know? The, um, the son takes over. And um, that might be what happen, happens with Trump, where Trump supporters love Trump in a way where that can't really be replaced with just some other guy that Trump says, follow this guy now. But maybe if one of Trump's sons can sort their shit out, maybe they could take over the movement. And then maybe more likely it would be Ivanka Trump because maybe she's a little bit smarter than the sons. But really, there's not a clear successor. It's the short answer. And Chairman Mao never figured it out. He never managed to appoint a successor successfully because he did appoint Lin Biao and he did everything he could. And this leads to the second point that's very interesting about this in terms of Trump, which is that Chairman Mao, Lin Biao wasn't his son, so he had to really spread it thick and be like, this guy personifies the, uh, what was it called? The permanent revolution? The never-ending revolution? Um, this guy is it. Like, this is, the, this is the hero we're looking for when it comes to... Um, like, this guy is infallible, just like me. And it's when you put out that idea that Chairman Mao is infallible because he is like the sun, and he has picked someone else who is also infallible. And then you change your mind, and he fall. there's a falling out, and the next year the propaganda is that Lin Biao was staging a coup against Mao. That's when, and you've already done this a couple of times, where you've already had a second-in-command that you've ousted, that you've turned on. That's when, because that's when the thing happens where people finally become a little bit disillusioned. I have read many times in many places people observing that the Lin Biao ousting was pivotal in 20th century Chinese history because that's where the cult of personality started cracking. Because up until that point, it was perfect and people truly without a doubt in their hearts loved Donald Trump. I almost said Donald Trump. I keep I keep thinking of Donald Trump and Chairman Mao now as exactly the same person. So I keep uh, almost accidentally saying the wrong name. But people truly loved Chairman Mao like a family member, like a father in like a personal way. And then the Lin Biao event, and then they over and over they were asked to stretch their like 
emotional capability more and more to where you're asked to love this thing and then you're asked to hate that same thing and then you're asked to love this and then you're asked to forget about how we told you to love that and now you're asked to think of this as something that you've always hated even though we used to tell you to love it and then you keep they keep changing their mind and they have this turnover problem and then eventually it breaks it eventually it's too much for people and many in many many places while studying chinese history i've heard of people talk about everything surrounding the fall of limbiao as when the people in china at large it was just more and more things started falling apart with the cult of personality and the the feeling of true love you know on limbiao's wikipedia it says Lin had been the high priest of the Mao cult and millions had gone through torturous struggles to elevate this chosen successor to power and to throw out his revisionist challengers. And then when you when you turn around and shit on that guy, it's it's trouble. And I think that's relevant because now I think it's possible to see maybe some cracks in the cult of personality around Trump. And when some people are starting to crack, the other people become even more fervently pure in their love for Trump. So you can see all kinds of things. But the fact that there are some people falling away, I think is the beginning of the end of the cult of personality um, aspect of it. You know, I'm not saying that Trumpism is going away, that Trump supporters as a group are going away. I'm not saying that because, like, you know, Chairman Mao, the love for Chairman Mao was very strong and a leading star in China for decades after this Lin Biao event. And to this day is, is a thing where all they ever got to was they could say that Chairman Mao was 70% right and 30% wrong. You know, that's where they ended up. That's what they, um, that's the final interpretation that they landed on. And, um, yeah, I'm a little bit thirsty, so um, maybe we should go to a water. Today we're reviewing strawberry-flavored sparkling water. Two of them are strawberry kiwi. I'm going to start with this. Yerbe, strawberry kiwi, 100 milligrams of caffeine. Perfect. Yeah, it's a very fake strawberry flavor, and there's... The kiwi flavor is actually nice. That's actually not that bad. And it's got this slight bitterness from the yerba mate that's in there. It's a very... The yerba mate is very much in the background, but still. The yerba mate is there, and the yerba mate is nice. And it's got a fake strawberry, and it's got a very real nice kiwi juice flavor. Man, there's a child crying outside of my window. I wonder what's going on. Um, I mean, I had very low expectations. A lot of the yerbas are undrinkable to me, but I think that's a 6.5 out of 10. Drinkable. Um, so I want to talk about the last thing here, which is basically it's QAnon. QAnon is the conspiracy wing of Trumpism. 
And yeah, I mean, let's just recap here. It's like a guy who posts on anonymous internet boards, discussion boards. He claims to be someone who's working on the inside with Trump. And he claims that there is a secret war going on between Donald Trump personally and the cabal on the other side. And the cabal is Satan-worshipping pedophiles who consume children. And they consume children because they need to drink child blood and get a chemical from the child brain called adrenochrome so that they can stay young. And the members of the cabal are like Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama and everyone in Hollywood and everyone in the Democratic Party and and that stuff. So that's like the what the cult believes, okay? And... I, yeah, I mean, I, I want to talk about my own psychology and how I, why I'm so obsessed with this because I have a really unhealthy obsession with it and I've really been struggling with it. The, the thing that really brings up a lot of stuff for me is that now, at this point in the conspiracy, the conspiracy is obsessed with being right. The conspiracy has sort of lost focus on, it doesn't no longer focus on how it's about it's not about the children anymore you know like 10,000 children a day are being consumed by the democrats because they have to eat children or something they don't it's not about the children the memes posted on the the sort of ecosystem of you know message boards and social media accounts that believe in this stuff the memes now are all like like it's a picture of like a military command center and everyone who works there, all their faces have been replaced with this like Pepe the Frog, Green Frog thing. And the idea is that everyone in the military is in on this and it's going to work out fine. And then the caption is, there will be many I told you so's. So the point is that they are, they still believe that they're right and that things are going to work out. And they believe that... When it's all said and done, they will be able to say, I told you so. So what they believe right now is that Trump still has this enormous amount of intel that he's about to drop. The intel is about how he has proof that all these Democrats are pedophiles um, who, you know, Zionists or whatever, that they are, you know, ruining the world and everything. And, and he is about to drain the swamp. He's about to press a button and release an incredible amount of data on everyone. And that's about to drain the entire swamp in one fell swoop. And it's, I, there's, let me read one social media post here that I think really crystallizes it out really clearly. It's, it's this guy, he writes this. There are only two options. Option one. Trump and Q are frauds who sold the most convincing, convincing illusion in human history to tens of millions while Biden was legitimately elected and will be inaugurated. So that's a pretty fair interpretation of what mainstream society believes. They believe that Trump is a fraud and that this guy Q who keeps posting that, ooh, soon there will be tens of thousands of arrests. Soon we will arrest everyone in the Democratic Party. Members of mainstream society think that's not true. 
and that that's some made-up bullshit. And then he writes option two here. There are only two options. Option one is what mainstream society believes. Option two is Trump and Q are true patriots who woke us up to a very real hidden reality. And Biden was never legitimately elected, will never be inaugurated, and many evil people will see justice and be arrested. And then he writes, there is no middle ground. I still side with option two. There are two options, and those are the two options. And that's all part of this extremely black and white cult thinking. Because, I mean, the non-cult way of looking at it is probably that there are probably lots of pedophiles in the world. And some of those pedophiles probably have lots of power. And there's probably lots of Jeffrey Epsteins out there. And, you know, Jeffrey Epstein hung out with fucking Trump and Bill Clinton and everyone. So it's like, I'm sure there's a lot of, a lot of horrible stuff going on. But it's not everyone, you know? It's not this, there's, on one side there's only Trump, and on the other side there's everyone else. Because that's cult thinking. And then what I think is so fascinating is the con, uh, comment section on that post, because people literally are talking about it. Like, there's two options. This is the top comment. Hate to say it, but I think it was always option one, which is, the, to them, it's the sad option. I hope for option two, but I've given this so much thought. I think Q is a huge psyop run by the elites to put patriots at bay and to, quote, trust the plan, end quote. Because that's a common part in this conspiracy that it looks, on the outside, it looks like things aren't going well for Trump. It looks like he constantly has to hire people and then he has to fire those people. And it looks like people don't listen to him. And it looks like everything is bullshit. But there's this idea that you have to just trust the plan because on the inside, there's all this secret stuff going on, and everything is actually proceeding perfectly according to plan. Trust the plan is an important thing. And then the person goes on here. I also think there's enough evidence to support that Trump is a Zionist, and I believe either he, he knew he was controlled by opposition or figured it out. Blah, blah, blah. Either way, I think the elites let Trump win because they knew they could use him as a scapegoat, scapegoat to take away more of our freedoms. So this is clearly like someone with right-wing instincts, someone who is a Christian, someone who would call themselves like this patriot, like this sort of right-wing style patriot. And because there's like, there's a big pool of people who are potential Q believers, people who are Christian and they have right-wing instincts and they're extremely anti-establishment and they have identified how the Republican Party has been lying to them for decades now about being for the working class. Because I really, I think, more than this being Trump's fault, I think this is just the original sin of the Republican Party. Because the Republican Party has this sort of fundamental problem more than the Democratic Party about how the Republican Party in America has been lying a little bit more. And it's, it's a party that's way more endorsed by corporations and because it's endorsed by corporations it's made it legal for corporations to do whatever and it's done that under the guise of freedom and it's done that while pretending to be for the little guy and it's just like a more contradictory stance 
where you're really trying to say that you're fighting for some poor guy in Appalachia, but really you're, you know, working very closely with pharmaceutical companies to make opioids legal. Like, the Democratic Party has problems and it's corrupt and everything. Like, if you look at Chicago and it's like, yeah, the Democratic Party is fucking corrupt, but they don't have this, like, fundamental problem. Because the, the, at least in the end, with the Democratic Party, you have people who vote for the Democratic Party who are, in the end, the beneficiaries of the policies of that party. But with the Republican Party, you have a big slice of your voters that are actually harmed by your policies. So that's like part of what created the breeding ground for this. And so you have all these people who have noticed that, that it's all a scam, that there's this like, that the establishment is screwing them over. And then they're Christians. And then they used to vote Republican. And then Trump comes along and he, together with Q, sells them this idea that he's going to change everything and overhaul the system. And... I don't know. I mean, I think this is a sort of limbial moment because um, turning on Mike Pence and stuff, I think turning on Mike Pence is maybe more of a limbial moment than a Pong Dohuai moment because the people who love Donald Trump have been asked to forget too many things. There's been just too many topsy-turvy changes and they have been emotionally, they've been stretched too thin and it's starting to crack. Maybe we should review another water. Um, this is sparkling ice, kiwi strawberry with antioxidants and vitamins, zero sugar. This is a local Washington state one. Very, very ugly bottle that reminds me of back in Sweden. There's this, the cheapest grocery store is this German grocery store, Lidl. And they would sell soda in like ugly, cheap plastic bottles. And this has a very Lidl kind of feel to it. Kiwi strawberry. Okay, so that's not very carbonated, which is very bad. Yeah, that's terrible. That just tastes like sweetener. What is the sweetener here? Sometimes when they taste too much like sweetener, I like to look at the ingredients and figure out which sweetener we're dealing with. This does not taste like stevia to me. This tastes like aspartame. Oh my God, an unreadable, unreadable text on here too. Yeah, I can't even find it. That's just great. That is just great. But um, it's disgusting. That's a 2 out of 10. That's a 2 out of 10. So I'm going to read you some more of these posts. Um, yeah, the whole idea is that it's very much, you know, it's black and white thinking and it's like now or never. There is no, tw this is another post. There is no 2022 or 2024. This is the tyranny of our founding. This is the tyranny our founding fathers spoke of. And there is only two ways this ends. I have faith in our president and our military and my research. I always talk about how the right wing American definition of the word research is a very funny thing where you, you, you smoke weed and you, you read things on your phone and they call it research. 
um, even if you do that for 12 hours a day for three years, you're still not doing research. End of discussion. Um, yeah, it's funny because this, that post, it talks about his podcast and his podcast is called Down the Rabbit Hole, which is apt. Um, here's another comment from this, the post that talks about how there's only two, uh, two paths. Either they were all fooled or it's all going to be all right. Here's one comment. LMAO. I told myself if this ends up being a flop, I'm a fool for believing all of it, but I enjoyed it while it happened. And then someone commented on that comment and said, yeah, it was definitely a great ride. And that's how it goes, you know? I think that's how it goes when you leave a cult. When you leave a cult, you can look over at your buddy who's also leaving the cult and you can be like, wow, that was a fucking trip. And I think that's... I think that's what some people are starting to experience. Now, I want to talk about the horrible thing this brings up for me because I, when I was married, we had a, me and my wife didn't have a very harmonious marriage and we had a couples therapist and we would go into the couples therapist's office and we would sit there and we would both feel like we shouldn't argue in this space. Here we should listen to the couples therapist and like, and learn about something but we just couldn't not argue and we always argued it was we were i would try to restate a fight that we'd had and i would restate it in a way where i was really just telling my side of the story and then she would just not want to say anything and not want to start a fight but she would just have to get the last word so she would say her version of it and then i'd be like mm, yeah but okay blah, 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 blah. this is my version though and then she'd be like yeah but again my version is this and after a while of us just locking horns like that, the couples therapist would always be like, you guys are obsessed with being right. And it's killing you both. And I didn't really hear that when it was said to me at the time. I didn't understand it. It didn't really sink in. But then way after the fact, it... Is I've realized that that's 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 what it was. It was just two people that have different subjective experiences, and they're both obsessed with being right, and they're both obsessed with getting the other person to somehow admit that they're wrong, which never happens because every person is just like their own consciousness and their own experiences and their own memories and feelings, and everything is so colored by your feelings and your past and your thoughts and you're barely even there in reality so the idea that you could convince someone that every that your highly sort of psychologized conclusion of what happened with something that you can convince someone else that that's what it that that's the definitive answer i mean it's insane it's literally insane to be that obsessed with quote being right so our marriage failed and our marriage failed because we were, we never got to that point of humility where you just fucking realize that you lose the war when you fight the war. Like the only way to win the war is to not fight the war, to just give up and just be like, wow, I'm realized like, because way after the fact, I realized that I could have just let it all go. And I could have just not hung on to those grudges and I could have not been so obsessed with being right and and things could have been better. But but um, 
I just had to be right. And then now with this QAnon stuff, these people trigger that same stuff with, for me because they are so obsessed with being right and their interpretation of reality. They just have a, they just have another reality. Like they have so many pieces of made up evidence in their reality that it forms an entire different world that has no overlap with our world. And yeah, that's, that, I mean, and they are now obsessed with being right and them on a sort of public internet, rubbing that in everyone's face that they are so right. For some reason that brings out this really childish thing in me where I then have to obsessively read all about it so that I can sort of say something to some of them. Not that I'm actually in the comment section arguing with them because I'm not, but I just have some personal friends who are in this and who, one of which is my old coworker, Teresa, who I'm trying to get, I w wanted to have her on the podcast so I can interview her. But she's not responding to my messages anymore as of a few days ago. And I think maybe doubt has started appearing her in, in her too. But yeah, it's not about, I didn't want to bring her on because I, I mean, if I bring her on because I want to be right, then I'm doing something wrong. Then I'm not being healthy that I'm not doing what I should be doing. It's wrong. And um, I think it was too much like that. And the last, like this, it, I'm recording this on January 14th. And the first 14 days here of this year have been me very obsessively, very unhealthily reading the news and then reading Q adherent social media posts and then especially the last few days I have been really really stuck until four in the morning reading the actual Q drops meaning the the actual posts on 4chan and 8chan and 8kun of this guy this like mythic figure who writes these um, mysterious posts anonymously where he pretends like he is a, where he purports to be an insider in the administration. And, and I just sit there and I read all of them because I want to find some sort of, I want to find something there that proves that I'm right and that they're all wrong. I want to find some sort of very obvious contradiction, but that is not possible because the contradictions are everywhere. Because, for example, the absolute first Q drop, the absolute first post by this guy, Q, was in 2017, I believe. And the first post was him saying that tomorrow between 7.45 a.m. and 8.15 a.m., Hillary Clinton will finally be arrested for being a pedophile. That was his first post. And then the next day came and went and she wasn't arrested, you know. So it's like the idea that I will find some untrue thing there that proves that it's all wrong. Like, that's an insane endeavor because, 
it's obvious. I mean, no, I'm, I'm saying all this wrong. I'm saying all this wrong. It's not about the facts of it. Like in their, in the universe of those people, there are no contradictions and they, it's more like that there's this river of information and you step down into this river and you let it flow over you and, and you interpret it yourself. And, and it's more like the ritual of interpreting it and feeling, because honestly, these cue drops are, there's a lot of feeling in it. And there's a lot of like, they, he talks about love and he talks about, you know, your family is going to be safe and. And, you know, we love this country and these are, we are the people who truly love this country and, and, um, yeah, I don't know. For some reason that's, it's really fucking me up reading uh, all the cue drops and, um, I think, I think I know a lot about it at this point and, um, but they, I mean, the, the whole thing, the hashtag, the hashtag from the beginning has been the, the storm is coming. Yeah. They talk about the storm and they talk about how the storm is, how it's this like enormous mass arrest. And at this point now, they're talking about how it's going to happen, you know, maybe a little bit before the inauguration, during the inauguration, after the inauguration. Some people talk about how the plan is, this is the plan and how this is such a perfect plan because the inauguration is that they're going to gather all the pedophiles together. All the Democrats will be there, all the ex-presidents, all of Hollywood, you know, fucking Tom Hanks and Justin Timberlake and all these pedophiles are going to be there. And there's going to be all this military under the guise of protecting everything because of this fake black flag affair that happened on January 6th. So they did the Capitol break-in so that they had an excuse to militarize the whole event. And then on the inauguration, they will finally strike and the military will be, will be um, in power. And you know, the thing is that... In the very end, the only thing that matters in a government and in a country and in, in, when it comes to authority and power is the military. And, you know, if we go back to comparing to China, it's like China's got this parliament with like, you know, they do the, th the third plenum or whatever with all the representatives from all the fucking 23, 30 provinces. And, and it's a room with 3,000 people, 3,000 representatives. I don't know how many it is. Man, I'm playing so fast and loose with the numbers and everything. How many people in Chinese parliament? The People's Congress, National People's Congress. Okay, 2,980 members. That was pretty close. 3,000 is what I said. Um, None of those people matter because the only thing that matters is who's in control of the military. It's the only thing people care about in China in the end because consolidation of power, in the end, it's about, well, can you get the tanks to roll in and, and back up your word, you know? And if you're not controlling the tanks, then you're not in control. And, you know, in Western countries, we pretend like that's not true anymore 
because it's been so long since that was ever since there was ever a stress test that brought us to the brink there where it's where you have to ask the question of well who controls you have these people arguing here and they argue about reality and then when you argue about reality on the most fundamental level in the end the thing that decides if your reality wins out or not is can you get the tanks to roll in and back up your word you know and the thing about this thing in America, and this is my huge, what's in Swedish called a brasklapp. Okay, sidebar, what's a brasklapp? There has to be an English word for it. So there was a Swedish, first of all, I'm going to um, explain the whole thing from memory because I'm so, my memory is so bad. It's so funny to have me. This is like drunk history, but I'm sober. Um, so in, in the Swedish government at some point, there was something they were trying to do, and they were forcing all the politicians to um, sign off on it. And then this one guy, Brask, he signed his name, but he smuggled in into his signature. He wrote it real squiggly, but what he actually wrote was, I'm being forced to sign, and then he signed his name. And he so he smuggled in this thing that proved that it wasn't a real signature. And he 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 was signing off on the thing, but he was, um, it's, it's saying something with reservations. You make a statement with reservations. It's, um, God, I feel like there's a word for that in English, but moving right along. My brasklap for this situation here, 2021 in America, is saying that you have this conspiracy theory, and you have these people that believe in it, and there is a Pew poll from less than two weeks ago, Actually, it's exactly two weeks ago, where they polled a bunch of people and they asked all these fucking Americans, do you believe that Satan-worshipping pedophiles are controlling the government and Hollywood, our politics and the entertainment industry? And here's what's up. 17% of Americans say yes. Now, that's a very specific question. Satan-worshipping pedophiles controlling politics and entertainment it's a very specific question and that's question it, to me if you ask me that question gets to q and if you ask yes if you answer yes to that question you are pretty much a q adherent and 17 percent of americans is tens of millions of people it's like 50 60 million people right and that is to say that there are many of them. So I just want to put it out there that it is theoretically, it's not probable, but it's theoretically possible for the U.S. government to be overrun by a cult. If there are enough members of this cult, and if they have enough weapons, and especially if enough members of the cult are also members of the U.S. Armed Services. And in that scenario, it doesn't really matter that all the things that they believe are sort of untrue factually, you know, that Hillary Clinton doesn't drink blood and stuff. It doesn't really matter because they have the tanks and they can back up their word with the tanks, you know. And there's a couple of pieces of evidence that sort of point in this worrying direction that it's possible. Like, first of all, the Capitol break-in where... 
everyone this has been overanalyzed this has been analyzed a lot now in the last two weeks but like it's very weird that it happened and that it could happen and it was a very muddled event where there were all different kinds of contradictory things that happened but it's clear that here and there there were cops and security people there that were sympathetic to the protesters to the trump supporters that let them in that took selfies with them that sort of like held their hand as they walked out. There was just certain things that suggest that the people that were supposed to keep those the Trump supporters out were sympathetic to them. And then there's other things, like there's a weird document. It's called, I think it's called something like the memorandum from the, for the, for the joint services. And it's this strange document signed by all eight branches of the U.S. military. You know, the Navy, the Army, the Air Force, Space Force, the Coast Guard. I don't know what all eight of them are, but all eight are signed at the bottom. The head of each eight, of all eight of them. And it's just a strange document reiterating basic things like, remember that you have to follow orders remember that you have sworn an oath to the constitution and when you read it it's very much like what is this in response to and i mean ostensibly it's in response to what happened on january 8th, 6th but why do they have to write this document it's a little bit like how if you're walking around and you see signs saying that you're not allowed to do something that always sort of suggests that people were doing it I mean, it's crass, but in China, in several places, I've seen signs that say no defecating here, you know, and that sign is there because someone was doing it. The sign is a reaction to people doing it. In this, in a train station in Sweden, there's all these signs saying no balloons, I don't know. Maybe that's different. I don't know why that sign is there. But I guess someone had a balloon once and that fucked something up in the train stuff. So the point is that, like, if you see a sign, it's always a hint that whatever the sign is forbidding was occurring. And I think that this memorandum from the joint for the joint forces it's a strange sign that leadership in the armed services can tell that they had to reiterate these basic things about what it means to be in the military. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at it here and it's like, the document says, the U.S. military will obey lawful orders from civilian leadership. We will support civil authorities to protect lives and property. We will ensure public safety in accordance with the law. It's like, why do you have to say that we will follow orders? It, doesn't everyone know that? Isn't that something you know, even that even a child knows? We will remain fully committed to protecting and defending the Constitution of the United States. And then it's about how the riot was an, a direct assault on our constitutional process. And uh, as service members, we must embody the values and ideals of the nation. We support and defend the Constitution. Like, why do you have to repeat that we're 
here to protect the Constitution when we're in the military. And then the last paragraph is so weird. The last paragraph is, To our men and women deployed and at home, safeguarding our country, stay ready, keep your eyes on the horizon, and remain focused on the mission. We honor your continued service in defense of every American. Like, ooh, so spooky. Keep your eyes on the horizon. What does that mean, dude? That's so spooky. And, I mean, there are plenty of photos of... If you look on the internet, there's plenty of photos of men and women in uniform that have sewn the letter Q on their clothing, signifying that they're QAnon adherents, you know? It's there. And polling these people is weird and difficult because it's like a very, it's like an explicitly anti-polling kind of belief system. But I think it exists and I think it's scary how much maybe the armed services are infiltrated by this and if we if you google it right now you realize that this is a very understudied and like forgotten corner of our current situation because there's very little written on this topic and if you google it there's like one article about how why why do veterans all believe in QAnon is one article and then there's a podcast episode of a, a podcast called Military Matters called uh, QAnon Exposing Extremist Views Within the Ranks, talking about how extremely common it is for members of the armed services to believe in QAnon. And that's it. Like a forgotten about podcast from October 1st, 1st 2020 and one article. That's it. We are not paying attention to how much of the military is part of a cult that wants to overthrow America. Like, it's insane. And like you think Sharia law, uh, you know, infiltrating uh, Minnesota is a threat to America because it's not. Compared to this, it's just not. This is a very, this is a much bigger thing. So as much as I'm saying that this cult is falling apart, I'm also throwing in this brass club that maybe it's not. So let me just wrap up what I'm, how this is a Brass club, because what the brass club, what it was is there was this politician or um, priest, maybe he was a priest, who his name was Brask, that was his last name, and he was pressured into deposing, signing a paper, deposing the archbishop. So all the people there that had the power were pressured into. Uh, signing this paper that deposed the archbishop, but he didn't want to depose the archbishop. So in the squiggly part where when he signed his name, he actually, in a squiggly way, he wrote, they're forcing me to write this, Brask. And then later on, the political winds turned and that deposed archbishop came into power and it triggered an event. I think it triggered, it's somehow related to the Stockholm bloodbath where they killed a lot of people in Stockholm and they were going to kill all the people that had signed off on deposing the archbishop. But when they came to kill Brask, he was like, no, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. Before you kill me, look at the piece of paper that I signed where I agreed to depose him. And if you really look at the squiggly letters, you can see that I was actually saying I was being forced to do it. So because of that, they didn't kill him. That's the story I was told like in grade school. So he smuggled in this thing saying he was forced to agree to something. 
forced to depose this archbishop. And then when that archbishop was on the winning team later on, he could be like, oh, look at this thing I smuggled in. It's, it's actually saying that I, I was actually sort of with you guys. <laughs> and that's what I'm saying here, that as much as I'm saying that the cult is falling apart and hang, the Hang Mike Pence chants from the crowd is a sort of limbia moment for Trump and QAnon maybe, where maybe they're, the cult of personality thing is falling apart. At the same time, I'm keeping this kind of open-ended and I'm admitting that it's possible for this cult to win in the end because, you know, political pro power grows out of the barrel of a gun is something that uh, Chairman Mao said, you know. In the end, it doesn't matter what the truth is. Political power doesn't give a shit what the truth is. Ben Shapiro has this uh, pinned tweet on his Twitter that says, the, f the truth doesn't care about your feelings. And it's like, in the same way, political power doesn't care about truth. Basically, I'm saying that after this um, militant cult takes over the U.S. government, topples the U.S. government, and they come to kill all of us that said that they were wrong. I just want to zoom in on this part of this podcast episode and be like, no, but I, I actually said that it was possible for you guys to do that. So, uh, so, so don't kill me. That's all. That's, that's my brass clap. And uh, with that, I think we should go to the last sparkling water. So this one is AHA. AHA brand sparkling water, strawberry cucumber, our third strawberry, not kiwi. I have to say the last one there had no kiwi flavor. Aha, you know, Aha is really nice. It's from the Coca-Cola company. They just, they executed well on this. It's very nice. I like many of their sparkling waters. And here, strawberry cucumber, let's see. Very, very gentle smell. Oh my God. Yeah, that's very refreshing. That's cold and it's crispy and I'm thirsty and it's hot in here and that's delicious. That's the good one. That's an 8 out of 10. Um, because strawberry in flavor form is one of the fakest flavors. And an actual strawberry is actually quite acidic. The strawberries are mo it's mostly about the crunch, the beautiful sweet crunch. That's an 8 out of 10. I'll give it an 8 out of 10. Aha. Strawberry cucumber. It's like the cucumber adds a sort of weird, like cucumber skin adds a sort of like weird, almost bitterness. Not good. Yeah, that's the worst 8 out of 10 I'll ever, I'll ever give, but um, I'm not going to change it. Let's keep it at an 8 out of 10. What else is going on? Yeah, I mean... The point of what I'm saying is that I am worried in the end. I'm heartened that it seems like the cult is falling apart a little bit because nothing is bearing out and Trump is completely isolated and alone and he's lost all political power and everyone in, everyone with any sort of political power is turning on him. You know, who knew that Mitch McConnell and Mike Pence were going to save America? But they did. And um, people are therefore losing hope. And then you have posts like this. Prepare for iconic irony when the libtards realize that Joe Biden is not president and Trump gets another term. 
Meltdown doesn't even suffice for their impending reaction. They will descend upon Washington, D.C. to burn it down, doing exactly what they claim we did last week. And then they, he ends with this, um, this other sort of cue saying, which is, future proves past, which is a very nice sort of, um, it's very like poetic and mysterious. Like, what does that mean? Why do you need to prove the past? The past already happened. It's like flipped around. Future proves past. The future will prove that the past happened. It's like, what? Yeah. So, um, really, I'm just hoping for the next two weeks to, to, um, be over. You know? Two days ago, there was like an enormous windstorm here, and, um, the, uh, Hundreds of thousands of households in the state of Washington lost power. And then all the <clears throat> message boards lit up with these maps showing how there's rolling blackouts across America. Because for some reason they believe that the when Trump starts releasing the information about how all the Democrats are Satanists, the powers that be will start cutting power. They will just kill all communication. And then... They thought that the fact that there were hundreds of thousands of power outages in Washington was that, that it was starting. But really, it was just like we were experiencing an enormous, incredible storm. So, you know, potato, tomato. Here's another post. The military is the only way. POTUS agreed to a smooth transition. To whom is he transitioning power? Question mark. The military, four exclamation marks. Buckle up, patriots. Ten days of darkness. So when the military takes over, they're going to cut power for 10 days. And then another post was like, do you have enough water at your house? And then me and the roommate were talking about it. Like, do we have enough water? And then we realized that I have about 500 cans of sparkling water here. So um, uh, I guess we'll be fine. And then I was thinking, like, it would be fun to do a... I better charge up my battery so I can film like a cooking show where you cook with sparkling water like imagine trying to cook with flavored sparkling water like you cook with strawberry cucumber cook some instant noodles with strawberry cucumber flavored sparkling water yeah that's a terrible idea that cooking show is never going to happen but anyway um i think that's an episode so um thank you for listening everyone thank you for listening that was our review of Yerbe Strawberry Kiwi, Sparkling Ice, Kiwi Strawberry, and Aha Strawberry Cucumber. If you enjoy the podcast, please buy some merchandise from our store. Shop.spreadshirt.com slash sparkling water. Is that the URL? <laughs> I think that's it. And that brings us to our closing segment. Sparkling water, sparkling mind. Welcome to Sparkling Water, Sparkling Mind. For today's session, begin by taking a seat and closing your eyes. In your mind, notice the shape of your body. Now, notice that perhaps your body is appearing as a cloud of sensations in your mind. Now, Notice your body beginning to relax, starting with your scalp. 
now. And then the muscles in your neck begin to relax and then your shoulders and then your chest and then your arms. Now, the cloud of sensations is fading away. Your body is disappearing. Now, every noise you hear is allowing your body to drift further away. Now, I would like to speak directly to your subconscious. Now, imagine that you are in a room full of tubes and pressure valves. These are the pressures of your life. These are the problems you must deal with. Imagine your hand turning each knob. Now, release the pressure one by one, turning each knob until there is no pressure left in your life. Now, there is no pressure. Now, none of it matters. Now, open your eyes. Now.